Solomon, chapter 2. I will read from verse 8. And again, our text will be verse 14. Listen, my beloved, behold, he is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is stalling behind or standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through. My beloved responded and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. The fig tree has riped its figs, and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along and for our time this morning. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The Song of Solomon, Saints of God, just to give you a quick way to read it, is simply this. It's a book, letters, songs, written about Christ and the church. Written about Christ and the church. So, simply put, when you hear words like in verse 14 of our text, Oh my dove, that is Jesus Christ speaking to you. That is Jesus Christ speaking to you. And that's how I want us to look at this text this morning. Jesus Christ writes to you. And he tells you what we, what we all desperately need to hear. This text is very hard, saints. As beautiful as it is, it's very hard. And why is it hard? Because this text, believe it or not, it is a mirror. It's a mirror for us to look at everything that's wrong in our lives. Are we discerning the technology the way that we ought to? Are we watching too much television? Are we on our phones too much? Are we watching too many debates? Are we allowing ourselves to be shown to all of our friends and family members throughout the day, but never to God? This text reveals so much about our sin. And even in light of all our impurities, what does Jesus say to us? He says, let me hear your voice. Let me see your form. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Saints of God, this text convicts us greatly because it convicted me. It challenges us greatly because it challenged me, but also it encourages us greatly as it did with me. And I hope it does for you. The context of this song helps us understand what's going on, right? It is springtime. The winter has just passed. We read that in verses 11 through 12, and that is the context, saints, of this. That it is springtime, winter has just passed. However, not everyone in this text is in spring. In fact, we see that the heart of the bride, the one whom Christ calls out to, she's still stuck in winter. She's still in winter. Congregation, 
Do you know what that's like to be in winter? Do you know what it's like, saints, for spring to come, for the sun to come out, but your heart is still cold? Your heart is still cold. There are many here today who are in spiritual winter. There are many of you coming out of spiritual winter. And God forbid, there are many of us that are on the way to spiritual winter. What is spiritual winter congregation? What is that? It's when your love for Christ is not lost. It's just not present. Spiritual winter is when your relationship with Christ is not gone. It's just distant. It's when only on Sunday you open your Bible. It's only on Sunday you ask for forgiveness. It's only on Sunday when you even think about the things of the Lord. Spiritual winter is a dangerous place to be, congregation. A dangerous place to be. And this is where the bride is. This is where the dove is right now. She is spiritually in winter. She is spiritually distant from her husband. Her husband is not present to her. Why? Because she does not want her husband to be present. She is in winter. We see this more expressed in the beginning of verse 14. Notice her uh, location. It says, my dove in the clefts of the rock. In the hiding place of the mountain pathway, here we see the bride. She's hiding from her groom. The bride is a liking to a dove. And we'll get a little bit more into that in a moment. But she is hiding from her groom. Now, we don't know why she's hiding. Why is this dove hiding from the one whom loves her? Well, we don't know. But saints of God, we can speak to the reasons why we hide from the Lord. We can speak of the reasons why we Hide from the Lord. The first and the chiefest way. I'm just going to give you two. The first and the chiefest way of sin. Saints of God, does not sin cause us to hide from the Lord? Especially unrepented sin. Sin that constantly is gaining victory over us can cause us to drive away from Christ into the clefts of the rocks. Sin can make us feel so ashamed while also making us feel some sort of comfort. Because we don't sin constantly without feeling some sort of comfort in that sin. The longer you sin, saints, the more regular it becomes. The more normative it becomes. The more comfortable you are with it. Sin creates for us a home, does it not? A dark place of refuge. A hiding place where only you and your sin know your little secret. Sin says, I will keep your secret safe with me. This state should shame us. It ought to shame us, congregation. For it says that we take delight in evil. That's what it means, saints, when we sin, that we take delight in evil. That we are saying that we take pleasure in evil. And we, saints... We can get so caught up in a web of our sin that we can say to ourselves, God can't forgive me. I've sinned too much. I've sinned Monday through Saturday. There is no possible way that God can forgive me. We can say to ourselves, I've gone too far. 
If I was ever to come out of hiding place, the light will shame me. God will shame me. Congregation, have you ever been there? When you've sinned so much that even just the thought of coming out, you feel that God would damn you. In addition to our sin, we know from our experience. We know from our experience. Hear me now, congregation, that our schedules can cause us to hide from the Lord. That our schedules can cause us to hide from the Lord. And maybe not hide out of shame. Maybe not hide out of shame. But not present because of life. Not present because of life. Many of us fill up our day to the top. We have so many things that we do throughout the day. That were things like prayer and reading our word and even contemplating on the mysteries of the faith, they become an afterthought. They become something that we only do at night before bed. Oh, saints of God, what a sorry state that is to be in. What a sorry state it is to be in to fill your day up with everything that pertains to the world and never give any time to the Lord. Saints of God, what a state to be in when we have no time for God. When we have no time for God. The less time we spend with the Lord, the more distant we grow from the Lord, just like sin. But saints, here's the great news. That no matter how far sin or our schedules, or our jobs, or our relationships drip stuff away from Jesus Christ. Here's the great news. That Jesus Christ stands out. And he calls out to you. And he says, my dove. That is the great news, is it not? That in light of how far sin, our schedules, have drifted us away, Jesus still calls out to you and says, my dove. To those here this morning and have found comfort in the cleft of the rock that is not Christ. If you found comfort in your sin, if you found comfort in your schedule, saints, hear me now. Jesus calls out to you today. Jesus calls out to you today. And he doesn't belittle you. He doesn't call you out on your sin. He doesn't degrade you. He doesn't dehumanize you. He doesn't say you sorry, worth of, or worthless, any of those things. He calls you his dove. And isn't that a fitting name for the Christian, is it not? A dove. A dove is gentle. A dove is beautiful. A dove is harmless. But saints, these are not the reasons why Jesus calls out to the church. He doesn't call you his dove because you're beautiful. He doesn't call you his dove because you're harmless. He doesn't call you his dove because you're gentle. No, the, the, the answer why Jesus calls you his dove is not in the word dove, but in the word my. The reason why Jesus calls out to you and says my dove is not because of you, but because you're his. That is to say, congregation, the fountain of Christ's love for his church is not found in the beauty of the church. Primarily, but because the church is his. Do you remember the story of the high priest Joshua and Zechariah congregation? 
We read in chapter 3, And then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing to his right to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a log snatched from the fire? What is the reason why Joshua was not damned? Because the Lord says, I have chosen Jerusalem. I have chosen Jerusalem. That is why Joshua, the high priest, who stands before God, who should be put to shame, Jesus says, I will not put him to shame. Well, why? Because is this not a log snatched from the fire? Is this not one who I have saved? Is this not one whom I have loved? Is this one not mine? Do you remember what the Lord said to Israel in Deuteronomy 7, 7? The Lord did not make you his beloved nor choose you because you were greater in number than any other people since you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Why does the Lord choose Israel and not all these other nations? Simply put, because I loved you. Because you're mine. Saints of God, in hearing this, as poorly as some of us treat Christ, as much as we don't cooperate with grace, the question of all question is this, why doesn't Jesus Christ stop loving us? Because we would stop loving us. It's so natural for us to do. Why doesn't Jesus Christ stop his relationship with us? Why doesn't he just give up on me? Why doesn't he just give up on me? Why hasn't he given up on me? Why doesn't Christ stop pursuing us, saints? Well, the answer doesn't get any more simple than this. Because he says, you are mine. That is the reason why. What's the reason why Jesus Christ does not stop pursuing you, stop loving you, stop caring for you? Because you are his. That's the reason why. Because, saints of God, when your hearts are cold, his heart, or rather his love, is still present. Because when your love has faded away, his love still perseveres. In Christ calling you his dove, we see our Savior. If you were, he opens his heart and he shows you that there's still love. That there's still love there. Although, as we might say like Israel, always complaining, saying, look at these guys over here, look at these guys over here. God, why, why, why aren't you catering to me like at the rest of these pagan nations? And I forgot the chapter, but Isaiah, the Lord says to Israel, you think I divorced you? Show me the papers. Just because of all the external outworkings of God's love are not present doesn't mean that God's love is not still there, congregation. Not because of who we are, congregation. But in spite of who we are, Jesus says you're mine. And saints of God, what other motivation do we need to come out of hiding? What other motivation do we need for you as a dove to fly away? To fly out of that that cleft of sin, that cleft of the busyness of your life. Saints, this morning, Christ is calling out to you. He's calling out to you. And he says, my dove, if you are hiding this morning, congregation, 
If you are not in Jesus Christ, if you are not in the cleft of Jesus Christ, hear me now, congregation. Stop everything that you're doing and fly to Jesus Christ, who is a better rock. Fly to Jesus Christ. Leave everything behind. Don't even say bye. Fly to Christ. And when you fly to Christ's congregation, you shall say like David in Psalm 18:2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You can say that and you will say that. Here, David gives a list of what the Lord is to him. And among the many things, David says the Lord is his rock in whom he takes refuge. Think of a dove in our, congreg- in our text congregation. Think of a dove. I don't know much about doves. I was actually tempted to call our brother Tony to ask him about doves and the, the nature of doves. I said, I'm just going to wing it. Think of a dove congregation. <clears throat> Think of how helpless a dove is when an enemy is nearby. Think of how helpless a dove is when they see a hawk. Think of congregation, the nature of a dove. The dove is not as fast as other birds. The dove does not have a large, sharp beak or large claws. A dove, isolated by itself, is a weak animal. And saints of God, is this not a picture of the Christian on its own in the world? People can dream of being strong. You can dream all day of being strong. But as I said in my sermon last Sunday morning, all it takes is one phone call. All it takes is one car accident. All it takes is one letter in the mail. All it takes is one meeting. All it takes is one trip to the doctor's office for life to quickly remind you that you are not as strong as you think you are. We need safety. And not just any safety. Not just any safety, congregation, but we need a solid and unmovable and unchanging rock. That's what we need. It's been said that a rock left alone can survive for over a million years. Just left by itself. However, just give it enough water, that rock will erode. Time will give way. But saints of God, this is not so with our God. This is not so with our rock that we hide in. As the great line from that hymn, Abide With Me, says, Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Everything in this world changes, congregation. But there's only one who does not change. There's only one secure rock that you can fly to, and that is... Our God. Saints of God, we need to be reminded of this. That our true and everlasting security is only found in Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of this. But why? Why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to hear this constantly, day by day, and remind ourselves of this? Why do we need to be reminded of such essential truths, congregation? Because in this life, 
God gives us many things in order that we will live comfortably, does he not? Gives us many things. But oh, how easily are we prone to wander. Gives you many things. A job, a car, friends. But oh, how easily are we prone to wander. How easy is it for us to find security and a hiding place in those blessings from God over and above God himself. God gives you comfort. Not that you will be comfort primarily in it. That's why he doesn't give you a job so you can find security primarily in your job. He doesn't give you friends so you can find security primarily in those friends. This is why we need to take heed, saints, to Christ's call this morning. Ask yourself this morning, congregation, am I hiding from Christ or am I hiding in Christ? Am I hiding from Christ or am I hiding in Jesus Christ? Again, saints of God, praise God for the blessings he's given to us. Praise God for the wonderful job. Praise God for the wonderful money that comes in. Praise God for the wonderful relationships. But, saints of God, those things do not surpass the Lord. Those things do not surpass the Lord. You are living backwards if those things in your life have surpassed the Lord. Our security is only found in Christ, in Christ alone. Jesus Christ this morning, congregation, has taken the first step. He's already taken the first step towards you. He's called out to you. He says, my dove. And you would think he would stop there, right? He doesn't. He actually goes further. He says, my dove, and notice what he says next. He says, let me see how you look. And let me hear your voice. Now, this is strange for Christ to call out his church in this way, because you would think that when Christ says, my dove, we would be we would respond with, yes, Lord. Now, let me see your face and let me hear your voice. That, that's what we should say, right? No. Our Lord, if he would say, he turns up the volume of his love for us. You want to know how much he loves you, congregation? You he says, I want to see your face and I want to hear your voice. This is humbling, is it not, congregation? Is this not humbling for us? That one of the ways people show their love for one another is desiring to see their lover's face and hearing their voice. There's something about seeing the face and hearing the voice of the one whom you love that that heightens the love that's between two people. Am I right? And here Christ shows how much he loves you, congregation. It is as if Christ says, I don't want to know of you. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I don't want to just know of you. I don't want to hear the good things that people say about you. I want to see you. And I want to hear you. One application, an implication we can draw from this is something that we need to be reminded of daily congregation is that Jesus loves us. Let me make it more personal. Jesus loves you. 
Jesus actually really, truly loves you. Do you remember, congregation, how Jeremiah 31 begins? Speaks of that glorious new day between God and his people. Do you remember, though, how it begins? Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord appeared to him long ago and saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Why do we need to be reminded of such great love, saints? Again, because we're prone to wander. Even right now. Even right now. Satan is trying his best to cause a distraction. To cause you to not hear what the preacher is saying this morning. To cause you to not hear what Jesus Christ is saying through the minister. He's causing that right now. Jesus loves you. And we need to hear it because we are so prone to wander. Why, saints? Because sin will make you think that it loves you. Sin will make you think that it loves you. Sin will make you think that it will keep your secret between you and it. Isn't that what a friend is for, right? To keep secrets. I'll do that. Sin tells us that it will always be there when we need it. That it will never leave us. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 p.m., I'll be there. But saints of God, hear me now. It's deceptive love. It's deceptive love. This is not real love. Yes, there is a difference between real love and fake love. And sin and what it offers to you is not real love. Because it comes at a cost, does it not? It comes at a cost. What's the primary thing it costs you? Fellowship with God. What comes after that? Shame. What comes after that? You begin to think that you're not saved. What comes after that? You begin to think that you are not worthy of following Christ. I need to give up. What comes after that? If you're married, your wife or your husband finds out. What comes after that? Your kids no longer want anything to do with you. What comes after that? Your friends begin to not associate themselves with you. Sin comes at a cost. And St. John, or rather St. James, warns us of sin's end goal. In James 1.15, sin, when it's run its course, brings forth death. Sin does not want you to be more alive. It wants you to be dead. And that is the biggest misconception in the world. Hear me, young people, that people will say, Indulge in whatever sin you like. Don't use the word sin, but indulge in whatever sin you like. Be free. But true and authentic freedom is not, saints of God, indulging in sin. It's slavery. That's what it is. And saints of God, we need to be reminded that there is a greater love there. There is a greater love that's been shown forth. There is a love that has a better end goal. One that is not trying to destroy you. If anything, is trying to destroy all that's bad within you. And is trying to give you new life. Saints of God, sin will never do for you. Will never do for me. What God has done for us. And he continues to do for us. 
But congregation, there was a problem with Christ desiring to see us and to hear us, is there not? I was reading this text and I said to myself, there's no way he can say this. There's no way Christ can say, let me hear your voice and let me see your face. There's no possible way that he can say that of me. Oh, this is hard. For if we were honest with ourselves, congregation, Christ's desire for us is hard for us to accept. For those who are not on their high horse this morning, for those who have thought a little bit about their sin, for those who think about their sin daily, for those who understand how weak they are, this is hard. The Lord says, let me hear your voice. And you may say, my Lord, let, let you hear my voice. But my voice is so ugly. My voice is so ugly. You want to hear my voice. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure you want to hear my voice? Why do you want to hear my voice? In one breath, I praise you. In the same breath, I speak like the world. You want to hear my voice. My voice. Why would you want to hear the voice of the one who lets his pride say things that I must apologize for? My voice, you want to hear. The voice that is quick-tempered. That is oh so quick-tempered. That makes me say wretched things. But you want to hear my voice. The voice that is so hot-headed. So hot-headed. That makes me think things that I know I shouldn't say. But you want to hear my voice, Lord. My voice that allows my emotions to say things that I'm forced to take back. Oh, you want to hear my voice, though. My voice that's so polluted with things I know I shouldn't say. You want to hear that voice, my Lord? My voice that gossips. My voice that slanders. And yet the Lord says, yes, that voice. Let me hear your voice. That voice. Saints of God, what I just described is a description of you. Because it's a description of me. It's a description of all of us. But we must not get understood, misunderstood. That type of voice does not please the Lord. That type of voice does not please the Lord, congregation. Christ wants to hear your voice in order to change your voice. We must ask the Holy Spirit daily to put to death our pride. What's the use of pride? What good is it? Put to death our hot-headedness. What, what good is it to get mad so quickly? What good is it? What good is it, saints, to get angry so quickly? What good is it to speak out of emotion and not with reason? What good does it do? 
What good does it do, saints, to wrongly assume? It doesn't do nothing for you. And it doesn't do nothing for the next person. I've said this many times again, and Dustin always reminds me of it. When it's time to put pride to death, when it's time to put self-centeredness to death, when it's time to put your hot-headedness to death, your assumptions to death, your emotional statements to death, put them to death. Put them to death. And hear Christ saying, use your voice for what it was made for. You weren't made to get angry quickly. You weren't made to be hot-headed like you are. You weren't made to wrongly assume the way that you do. You were first and foremost made to call upon the name of the Lord. He will help you, congregation. He will help you. Why? How do I know that? Because he's helped me. He will help you too. And many of you can already attest to him helping you. Throughout our daily lives, there are many who hear our voice. Many who hear our voice. Our employees and customers hear our voice. The restaurant intercom hears our voice. Our children and husband, our wives hear our voice. The air, when we are in our car singing loudly, hears our voice. We give our voice to everything in the world, do we not, congregation? And here Jesus says, I want to hear your voice also. Everyone hears our voice, and Jesus says, but what about me? I want to hear your voice too. I want to hear your voice. And this is not, and this is encouraging, congregation. This is encouraging. The one that spoke everything into existence by the word of his power says to you, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice, Christ says, in prayer. Let me hear your voice when you're sharing the gospel. Let me hear your voice when you're speaking to your friend about the Lord. Let me hear your voice at all times. But it doesn't stop with the voice, congregation. Jesus also says, let me see your face. Let me see your face. Christ wants to see our face privately, does he not? But also, most especially, he wants to see our face in corporate worship. He wants to see your face in corporate worship. Christ wants to see your face when we sing to him. Christ wants to see your face when we pray and ask for forgiveness. He wants to see your face, congregation, when the preacher is speaking to you on the behalf of Christ. He wants to see your face. He does not want, Christ does not want you to see your face with your head down, reading your Bible on your phones. He wants to see your face. Why would we keep that from him then? Why would we keep our face from God when he says, let me see your face? Will we let our phones keep us from showing our face to our Lord? Those little devices made by men that consume us, will we let that little thing there keep us from showing our face to the Lord? Not only privately, but corporately. Congregation, will we let our laziness and our lack of sleep show us, or rather keep us from showing our face to Christ? I know many of us have worked Long hours. Saturdays are hard for many of us. But the God gave you that job. 
For when it's time for you to show you or show him your face, not for us to not show him our face. Saints of God, what is keeping us from both? What is keeping us privately and corporately from showing our face to Christ when nothing kept Christ from showing his face for you? What is keeping you from showing your face to Christ when nothing kept Christ from showing his face from you? Do you remember what Isaiah 50 verse 6 says? I gave my back to those who strike me. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. Our Lord showed his face to his enemies congregation so that you will no longer be an enemy to God. Our Lord showed his face to his enemies to be shamed so that God wouldn't shame you. Our Lord showed his face to his enemies so that we can show our face to God and so that God will not turn his face from us. But he will smile and look down at us. Christ was not ashamed to show his face for you. Are we ashamed to show our face to him? Is it too much to ask for Christ? Or rather, is it too much for Christ to ask for you to show him your face? Is it too much to ask? Is it? If there's any commandment that we should say, yes, Lord, of course. That is the most reasonable commandments of all commandments. Yes, I will show you my face. Yes, I will let you hear my voice. And congregation, hear me now. When you do so, you might ask again, well, will he put me to shame? Will he put me to shame when I do so? What does the last two lines say in our text? For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. You saints of God, us Christians are like that baby who has that blanket and that baby had that blanket for so long. There's, you know, holes in that blanket that need to be sewn. There are stains on that blanket. It probably smells because the baby never wants it to leave its side. You couldn't even sell that blanket. You couldn't even give that blanket away. People say, why does that baby want anything to do with that scarred, marred, imperfect blanket. And to that baby, the baby says, because it's my blanket. It's my blanket. And because it's my blanket, I love that blanket. My son is the same way with his pillow. The saints of God, that's the Christian. As perfect as we think we are, we are not. Why would, why would God want anything to do with me? I have holes in me that need to be sewn up. I have stains on me that need to be cleaned. I smell from time to time. And the Lord says, I'll fix it. You'll be all right. Just hide in me. Just hide in me. Keep safe in me. Congregation, this is the great challenge for us, is it not? That all of us, we are challenged to show our face to Christ. We are challenged to allow Christ to hear our voice. But here's the great encouragement. 
that Christ wants to. He desires it. Give him what he desires, congregation. Let's pray.